Hello, and welcome back to this, our discussion of the internet's perceived issues with Through the Breach, a role-playing game created by Weird Games. I am Danny Dawson, host of Fate and Fortune, and joining me to co-host this session is the spectacular Sean Overton, most commonly referred to as Shadow Opal. We'll dive right in, as I'm sure you're eager to hear us talk about everything but the topic at hand. Enjoy. So, section three is combat. So, I think we definitely saw the most emotive responses uh, around combat throughout any of the topic boards that we saw. All of um, the people on Facebook are calm and rational people. None of them are emotive. <laughs> <laughs> this is no. social media. People don't get agitated on social media. Come on. No, no. How could we? It's a wonderful place. It's called social media, not yes. anti-social media. That's right. <laughs> uh, do you want to read the first one? Sure. Okay, so... Section 3 Combat. Here we go. The Fate deck versus target numbers in combat. Bob Fletcher from one of my players. I feel like the difficulty is kind of high, and average target number seems to be like 8 to hit someone, which is the only action that really matters in the end. So to get a hit where you're not taking the worst of X cards, which is invariably a weak hit, you have to get 8 over 10 that means you have a lot to. That means you have. That means you have to total approximately 17 to get a fair chance at a good hit. That means with a maxed out skill of five, you have to draw a 12 or 13 or a red joker, and even then, you can still draw a weak hit. This makes fights slogs where everyone is doing minimal damage over and over until someone finally drops. Rather than dynamic battles where bullets are flying and the mooks are dying, the fact that hits and damage are drawn from the same deck exacerbates this problem. To get a good hit success, you need to draw a high card, but you also need to draw a high, usually on multiple cards, to do decent damage. The better you hit, the less chance you have to, of doing good damage in the future, and the better damage you do, the less chance you have to hit. This is all very valid. <laughs> yes, absolutely. It's it's integral to what we know because this is like like we've discussed. It is a lift and shift combat system from Malfoy Second Edition. Almost right. nothing has changed except that the opponents that the faces are going against will have static values that they are going against. But the, I, I don't know. It's difficult because I, I mean I've I've come from a Malifaux perspective where glancing hits are the most common thing that you see. Mm -hmm. You know, you're always flipping that weak damage, and he's completely right in this. Um, I, I completely agree with this player that it it just it is the case <laughs> whether 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 someone sees it as a bad thing or not. I suppose it entirely depends on where you're coming from because. The way I always picture it is this is Victorian times where most uh, weaponry that they had or um, obviously the magic is so uneasy to use that chances are you're not going to be getting a headshot every time that you shoot someone. Right. So I feel like in, in a reality style situation, 
you're not going to be getting a confirmed kill every time you hit someone and hitting that maximum damage all the time. The most common thing you're going to do is hit a, on a glance. Right. Um, and personally, I, I see most of the cool, dramatic effects that they're talking about comes from the triggers. Those mm-hmm. little bonus abilities coming from the uh, the suits of the card that's played. Just those little, and, and, it's going to do this as well. Right. But obviously that's that's just my perception. This This player is obviously coming at this from a different angle where they are potentially not used to uh, Malfo's style of play and they're more used to uh, other role-playing games combat systems that have quite dramatic damage moments almost constantly. Right. right. It's, it's definitely an interesting one. What, what, what are your thoughts on it? Uh, well, I, I have three approaches to this one. Um, number one is, like you said, this this is obviously some... Well, I should... It, it seems obvious to me. It may not obvious. It, it may not be obvious. And it, it may not even be true. But it seems to me that the person who is saying this, Bob's players, um, is coming from a different role-playing game, mm-hmm. where where mooks die. It's it's that it's that phrase: bullets flying and mooks are dying. It's that's a very Shadowrun. <laughs> feel to me where you're throwing bathtubs full of dice and mm. you're you're gonna hit something and it's gonna go down. I mean that's just the way it happens in Shadowrun. Um, but I mean if if you think about Victorian era and Old West and all of that, people didn't die of gunshot wounds. Mm. People died of bleeding out slowly over time. They died of sepsis. They died of the after effects of the weak hit. Because honestly, lead balls just don't do a lot of damage in and of themselves. Yeah, yeah, they're they're made of lead. People died of lead poisoning. That's why they always Mm -hmm. said, you know, I'm going to give you lead poisoning because that was the end goal. You give the person lead poisoning and you walk away while they're bleeding out on the ground. You Do you know, think that's it, where people get that confusion of, you know, how you're, you're definitely not supposed to take a weapon that's lodged in you or a bullet that's lodged in you out? Do you think that's where we got the other idea from? Because if you leave a lead thing in you, you're not going to make it, so you're going to need to take that one out. Right. I, I do think there's some of that. Um, and, I, and I mean, all of this stems from our movies, you know. Mm. Fistful, of, fistful of dollars, people died from gunshot you know, they didn't crawl away and die slowly in, a, in an alley somewhere. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, they, they got hit, they died. That's that's movies. So, uh, there's a little bit of that. Also, so that that's point number one. Point number two is um, Malifaux's card system initially is very complicated to take in. Because you're flipping a number of cards, which are determined by a number of factors, just to hit. So, you have an acting value and a defense value. And you flip a card and add it to your acting value and compare it to the defense value of your opponent. Nine times out of ten. There will be other things that tweak that. If you meet or beat 
that defense value, then you hit. After you hit, then you flip a number of cards to determine the damage, whether it's weak, moderate, or severe. The way you determine how many cards you hit is by the difference in your acting value plus card flip compared to the defense value. And it, if you, if you meet that number, you flip three cards, but it's called one card and a double negative twist. Mm -hmm. Negative twists means that you flip an additional card for each negative twist, and you must take the lowest value card as your draw. So if, you, if you're flipping three cards and you flip a 12, a 10, and a 2, you got to take the 2 on a, on a negative twist. So, like I said, if you, if you equal the, the defense value, that's a double negative twist. If you beat the, the, at the defense value by 5 or more, that's a single negative twist, meaning you're drawing two cards. Your original card plus a negative twist. If you beat the defense value by 6 to 10, it's increments of 5. So 6, six to 10 means it's a straight flip. Whatever you flip, that's it. But at that point, you can also cheat that damage flip. And that's where things start getting important and need to be remembered. Because everybody says, you know, I, I, I flip a number of cards and I, I have to take the lowest value. It's like, okay, well, no. Not if you're able to somehow manipulate those twists. Mm -hmm. And there Absolutely. are ways to do that. There are there, There's beating by a very large number, which is what this gentleman is trying to do. Uh, there are uh, talents that give you a positive twist to your uh, damage flips sometimes. There are certain weapons that will give you positive twists to your damage sometimes. And what a positive twist cancels out a negative twist. If you have no negative twists, then you get to flip an additional card for each positive twist that you have and choose whichever card you like. Now, the reason I say whichever card you like as opposed to the highest is because when you're shooting to hit, there may be triggers that you want to pull off. So you may be looking at the suit rather than the value of the card to try and pull off triggers. Exactly. Which, which we've talked a little bit about triggers. And yeah. triggers are triggers are another way in which you can moderate those damage flips sometimes. So there are, there are things you can do to modify that number, which brings me to number three, which is um, focus and aim. Yeah, I was going to say. If, if you spend APs, you get two APs per uh, round of combat. So if you spend an AP, oh, and AP is action points for those that aren't familiar with the rule system. Uh, you get two action points for every round of combat. If you spend one of those action points focusing, that means you get a positive twist to your two-hit flip. And damage. And damage, right. So you're flipping two cards to hit, and you get to choose whichever one you want. That means that you will be able to choose either the higher number card or the suit that you want to pull off a trigger, or if you're really lucky, both. You might you, you might have a trigger that's like a ram trigger, which is uh, plus critical hit, plus one damage on whatever you do, which is nice uh, for every ram that's in your toll. So if you flip a 
uh, a 13 of RAM or an 8 of RAM, you know, obviously you're going to choose the 13, but if you were to choose, if you were to flip a 13 of Crow and an 8 of RAM, if that 8 hits your target and that RAM is there, you're, you probably want to choose that 8 of RAM to get that extra point of damage um, on whatever you flip. Because you've already got a... So if you focused and you got that 8 of RAM, and you've already got a positive twist on the damage as well. So, you know, if you're if you're looking at a negative twist just based on the, the flip plus acting value, and then you've got a positive twist based on that focus, that means you've got a straight flip, and you can, once again, either take that straight card or cheat it for damage. Mm. So there, there's, there's ways to mitigate those flips, and it's really hard to take all of that in when you're just breezing through the book or whatever looking at combat. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Live, live that, examples will definitely change your perspective on that. That's why I do the session zero combat session is, is that I will specifically set up scenarios where the flip ends up with, you know, okay, now you have a trigger of rams for critical strike. You know, do you want to take do you want to take that eight of rams as opposed to that thirteen of crows, which will still hit, mm. but it, you'll you'll be flipping two cards instead of one and you'll have to choose the lowest but if your lowest value is a weak hit of one versus a moderate hit of two and you've got that ram you're still doing two damage so you know it's it, it there are pros and cons to, to both methodologies and i know that was kind of all over the place as an explanation no but no I, th I think it the, got straight to the point the, the, the combat system is kind of all over the place. Um, yes. You know, we, we, we talked about how magic was complicated. Combat's complicated, too. Don't don't kid yourselves if you think that building a shooter is going to be simpler in the long run over a magic user. You know, it's, it's, it's a complicated system, but once you've done it a number of times, you learn these mitigating tricks. Um, and, you know, like I said, there's, there's talents that mitigate the twists that are happening on your flip that you could take. There's focusing, you know, so there, there's lots of ways to mitigate the number of twists that you're having and the kind of twists that you're having. Um, mm. So that, that yeah, would be no, my, I'll, that would be my closer on that one. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll also mention that, especially when you are using the, that focus for the sake of uh, getting a more likely higher damage result as well as having that additional chance of getting the uh, additional triggers we're going to talk a lot later on about the uh, more difficult opponents that you're going to face and as a personal recommendation i would say get used to focusing around yeah. those opponents because you're going to find that if you are just using your damage profile as your way of taking someone down, it will be a slug. It will take a very long time to be able to break through combat. If you have triggers, try and find ways to maximize on them. That's I'm I'm not a min-maxer kind of person. I'm definitely more of a narrative-driven. But with this system in particular, you're going to want to be aware of all of the tools at your disposal, especially around those higher-level opponents. Right. Yeah, I'm 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 not into min maxing either, but I am I am totally into if I have a gunfighter, he's probably going to have something that makes him a little better at killing things. Um, 
so I, I, I can see choosing talents that mitigate those those twists. For sure, for sure. Yeah, it's it's, it's completely understandable. I mean, no one's no one's going to take uh, feats that benefit magic dealing when you're a gun fighter. You know, sure. like it's it. There's there's min max and there's min max and isn't there? You know, you're not you're not creating like custom maths charts to find out what's the most the highest probability of something. <laughs> right. You know, um, but you you can do things that feel thematic to the character that happen to benefit you, and that's not something you should ever feel guilty about. Right. So Grant Headley says, I really don't like that NPCs and monsters and what have you have static values with no flips. I'm okay for them not being able to cheat. But not having any flips at all makes the game lose a lot of its thrill, to be honest. It hasn't stopped me from playing, but has made me want to homebrew my own system to just give the mobs flips. Mm-hmm. So Yeah. Yeah, I mean it's it's completely fair enough. If if that's if that's the kind of thing that you're coming from, I know obviously in, in quite a few other role-playing games, um, we see both sides of the fence of this. I've I've seen many ones that have a static value, I've seen many ones that uh you roll for. It, it depends on what I'd say. It depends on what kind of game master you are, you know, or, or even player of just having that feeling of going against a randomized element uh, or not. It's yeah, I, I can see for people's preference to be honest. And if he wants to build his own system for that, I'd just say yeah, that that shouldn't be too difficult. Um, keep in mind of the stations assumed card differences. So obviously the the NPCs that they're going against will have different ranks and different kind of titles to say what power level they are. And that will determine what the assumed card flip was for them that he's on about for these static values. So just as long as you're keeping aware of what those changes are and you might want to bump some stats here and there for the sake of that, then that's probably going to help you out. But yeah, I don't, I don't see any issue with that. What's your thoughts? Uh, well... It seems to me like I don't know if I don't know if Grant is the Fate Master or a player, mm. but it seems to me like the Fate Master, whoever that is, has forgotten about the rank value of the characters, because the rank value of NPCs gives them Fate points based on their rank value, and Fate points can be used as twists. And they sure. can also be used to take additional action points. And they can also be used to activate abilities. So there's a lot of things that these fate points can be can be used to do that make them a little better than just a acting value. Yes, yeah. So So you're saying for the for the sake of those uh, having a potential unknown element that he seems to be trying to gain back rather than having static values that will never change. Right. Sure. Because, I mean, even minions have one fate point. Mm. And the other thing to remember is is that when, uh, when, when the fate master shuffles the deck, not only do the players get a card into their twist hand, but the character, the NPCs also get a fate point. So, you know, if, if you're facing a group of minions at the end of the deck, you know, and all of those minions get a fate point 
when you get one twist card, it's like those minions suddenly start looking a little beefier. <laughs> yeah, and I, I mean it's it. I mean it's not a huge thing, but you know it. I I use fate points a lot, uh, so um, I because my my players are experienced gamers and they know how to tweak things, so I use fate points a lot. And if you find that your players are dealing with your adversaries too much, you can you know, put some extra fate points into your, into your NPCs. Yeah, you know, absolutely. Just, I mean, you, it's your game is the is the key thing there. Right. You know, don't, don't, I mean, like we've said before, there's a constant encouragement within the box to make it your own. Right. And, uh, and another thing that this kind of speaks to me of is um, that um, it sounds like these are people coming from Malifaux, so they probably know the stats of a lot of the monsters in their heads. And I will often change things from a stat card because some of my players are Malifaux players. I had mm-hmm. one guy who, you know, ran up against uh, a guild guard, and when the guild guard was doing things that Guild guards don't normally do the Malifaux. He said, Guild guards don't do that. I said, You're right. This isn't a guild guard. That is a guild guard model, but this is not a guild guard. Mm. Well, what is it? Well, you don't know that now, do you? You didn't ask him before you started shooting at him. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, <laughs> so, I mean, yeah. you could do things like that too. And I, I understand that going up against the static acting value is a little, it takes a little bit away from. Um, the mystique of hitting something, but it's really no different than Thacko, or um, I'm sorry, Thacko is two-hit armor class zero, which was a thing from Dungeon Dragons in the past. Uh, but it, it, you know, Matt Mercer and all of these online GMs like to keep the damage points hidden from the players, and I think that's great. Uh, but they're, you know, I also don't think it's absolutely necessary. You know, players can know what they need to hit something. I don't, I don't have a problem with that. Because my NPCs will have talents or traits or whatever that change things up mid-game. Yes, absolutely. So that would be that would be my big tip is to never use a standard Malifaux card. Change it somehow. You know, twist mm. twist it up somehow, just so that people aren't facing Guildhound number five. You know, yeah, make yeah, yeah. make 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 it individual characters. I, I I realize that in all of my answers, I kind of put a lot of honest on the on the Fate Master, but that's kind of the way I've always approached Fate Mastering. It's it's my job to make the game challenging. It's not the game's job to make it challenging because the game doesn't know what your players are going to throw at it. So. Absolutely. The game is a basic set of rules, and it's for handling a specific set of circumstances. You will never run into those specific set of circumstances. Your players will always outthink you. Your players will always outmaneuver. Your players will always outgun everything that you ever set up. And mm-hmm. it's your it's your job as fate master to have ways of getting out of those situations and. Making it challenging, not making it always a TPK, total party kill for those who don't, yeah, yeah. For those who don't play. Uh, 
you know, it's it's it, my my belief is that the the fate master kind of has to mitigate these issues, and that's what we're trying to do today is give you a give you a number of ways to do that. Yeah, expand the toolbox. Yeah, exactly. For sure. Yeah, yeah, completely agree. Um, Brill, okay, so... Oh, and uh, he says, you know, he, he might homebrew his own system, give them up. Sure, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. I mean, honestly, if you want to play Malifaux using the Deadlands system, by all means, do it. Nobody says you have to play through the breach. You know, it's like I love the through. I love through the breach. Uh, you know, I, I know a lot of people who do love through the breach. I know that the rule system is flawed because all the rule systems are flawed. But if you guys find a system that works better for you and you just want to keep the storyline, cool. Have at it. You know, um, I've done homebrew for a number of games. Uh, I was talking uh, before about. Sentinels of the Multiverse, you know, before that came out, I I had a homebrew um, superhero rule system that I ran. It was a horrible amount of time to put into creating something where there were a dozen different systems out there, and I would have just mm. looked through one of those, I would have found one that worked, but I didn't want to take the time to do that, so I spent three months of my life creating my own system, <laughs> which was stupid. You know. But, you know, if you want to homebrew your own system, by all means, do it. In fact, share it. I'd love to see what you come up with. Mm. Yeah, I was going to say that for, for the sake of those Fate Masters who specifically would enjoy having a bit more personal involvement with the with the game as with the players, then, yeah, I, I would say, to be fair, Grant, if you do end up doing this, share it with as many people as you can. There are going to be a lot of people out there with a very similar mindset to you. Yeah, and I, I guess that's one thing that I find really strange about the Through the Breach community versus other role-playing communities, and I, I'm probably going to have people yelling at me online about this, but uh, I find way more groups for, for Fate Masters, or for Game Masters, for other systems, to share techniques, to share comments and criticisms, and try to find ways of doing that and I I really hope that anybody listening to this who is a Fate Master will join the uh, Through the Breach uh, Facebook group um, and you know participate there because mm. you know this this mentality of it's every Game Master or every Fate Master for themselves is just dumb you know share with each other help each other out you know it's like mm. It, it's gaming for God's sakes. It's not NASA secrets, you know. <laughs> Share the wealth. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. And, and this is the thing that we'll probably touch on towards the end. But there's there's so much in there. I mean, they, we've got yeah. just over five hundred odd members in the Facebook group, and the, yeah. those that are out there are just so happy to share. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it, admittedly, we have a lot of lurkers. Uh, we, but do, we do. Yeah, we, we do have a, a very good core group of loudmouths like myself who will chime in with everything. <laughs> I was going to say, me, me and you are always first to comment on just about everything. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and uh, Doug, Doug's pretty good. About oh, yeah, yeah. Doug's always on. Yeah. Yeah, Craig every now and then. Yeah, Craig's. 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 He, he's, he's a 
fucking icon. He doesn't have time for us. I love Craig. Okay, let's move. Let's move on. Sure. So, uh, balance between low level and high level NPCs and their crit tables. Oh I'll, com- I'll, I'll completely balance. There's nothing wrong with it at all. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 nothing wrong. It's a perfect system. Nope. Nope. Um, all done. I think- Next. Okay. <laughs> so I think Jason Elip sums this up in the kindest way that I have seen. Uh, in- indeed. Indeed he does. Some Fate Masters have struggled to challenge their players in combat on a consistent basis. <laughs> I agree, Jason. <laughs> Short, sweet, to the point. Spot on. I, I agree. Yep. Um, yeah. Alright, John Dennis says, just from me as a GM, there's nothing really in the core book explaining how characters and NPCs alike actually die, mm-hmm. other than flipping a 22-plus on the severe crit table. Mm-hmm. Um, so just for those that aren't aware... The higher level characters um, will typically not die through easy methods. Uh, you would have to have their wounds pass the point of zero and start working into the negatives. And for each negative point of their wounds that they have, they will get plus one on the critical table chart to the damage flip that is flipped for that critical. Um, so only on a 22 plus on the severe critical table so using a card with a value of 11 or more do they actually die um that's a lot um, yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> it says a lot a lot of flips knock a character unconscious but then a lot of npcs ignore that toughness check purely rules has written that 22 plus is the only way to take something out for good although rules is intended it would make more sense for an enemy to stop after the first severe critical sure yeah. There's I that just... makes sense. Yeah. Right. So, uh, you read, so I guess I'll, I'll take first hits on this one. Um, so, yeah, absolutely. Uh, rolling it, or flipping a 22 plus on the severe critical table is basically going to make sure they stay alive for more than one turn after being taken to zero. And that's a lot for most players to take in. <laughs> um, so, and then you add into the whole flipping multiple cards to hit, flipping multiple cards to damage, doing that a number of times over a number of turns. It's like you're you're flipping a lot of cards to get through some of these mm-hmm. some of these characters, um, and. I don't know what to say other than, yes, that's the rules as written. Uh, however, I will refer back to my adage of it's a role-playing game, do whatever works for you and your players and uh, your, your specific scenario campaign. Uh, if your NPC needs to stay alive past a 22 flip on Severe in order to progress the storyline, then your character will survive past a 22 flip on critical table to progress the storyline. 
if your character needs to die on a 16-plus severe critical table in order to progress the storyline, kill the character on a 16-plus. Um, you know, it, it is what it is. You know, the, again, the rules were written to cover a broad scenario, a broad uh, quantity of scenarios. Uh, that's hard to do. So... They, they aren't perfect, uh, they aren't completely balanced, but they work for the most part. One tip that I have had if you want to stick to rules as written as much as possible is to basically count the 22 plus flip as a master level character. So for those who play through the breach, you know what that means as far as rank. Uh, for those who don't play through the breach, every NPC has a rank value that is assigned to it. There's minions and henchmen and masters, various levels. So master is the highest rank that can be given. I think we got tyrant as well. Oh no, you're right. Yeah, we do it. So it goes from peon, which is a rank of one to four, minion five to six, enforcer seven to eight. Henchman, 9 to 11, Master, 12 to 13, and Tyrant, which is a 14. So, basically what I do is I count the 22 plus as a Master level, or better. And when I'm flipping on that chart, I will subtract the rank value from a rank 12 Master. So, for instance, a, hench a rank 9 Henchman would be a difference of three. Mm. I take that so difference... I take that... Yeah, I take that difference and I add it to the flip. Right, okay. To, to get to that 22. Yeah, yeah. So this this is exactly what I was going to suggest as a side tool piece for people to use is for creating their own idea of where these... Not necessarily death, but unconsciousness checks lie. Yeah. So, because we see that a, a minion or peon will, as soon as they hit zero wounds, that's it, they're knocked out. They're not right. dead, just unconscious. Right. Um, there is a general action that people gloss over quite frequently called execute, in yeah. which you can kill an unconscious person. Yeah, you basically walk up and slit their throats. Exactly. That but murder is illegal. <laughs> basically. <laughs> um, the vast majority of the time, incapacitation is enough to pass an encounter and going further could incur uh, further negatives depending on obviously the type of story that you are situated in right yeah and but, I, I do allow, I do allow my characters to say I'm I'm not slitting their throat I'm tying their hands or I'm hog tying or whatever that's incapacitating it's like okay great yeah yeah absolutely I, I actually just assume as standard they're not going to be killing them um, unless they oh, specify you're that they nice. like to, uh, they, well, unless they unless <laughs> they flip a black joker at some point when they're intending to keep them alive, <laughs> that's always the fun where you just go because the black joker is is the worst card you can possibly get and is counted as a value of zero, no suits. It's it's the trash card that no one likes to see. Fate yeah. masters use it to bully people it's the best 
<laughs> yeah, basically the original tagline for Malibu was bad things happen. And mm-hmm. that is the epitome of the Black Joker, bad things happen. Yes, indeed. And just, it's a narrative game. You don't have to feel tied to the rules in any way. Shake that up. As soon as you see the black, think of the best, worst case scenario. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So so my, my idea around this was that um, anything from Enforcer and above, you can just, in your mind, have noted down unconscious at X negative wounds. Yeah. It's a great way to just bridge that gap because rules is written, they're absolutely right. You go from minion and then literally the next person up from a minion, they've spent one extra day on the job, they got promoted, and right. suddenly they jump to 22 extra wounds. <laughs> right. Um, it is It is extortionate, to be honest. Well, and I, I find with my method of doing the difference between the lowest level master and whatever rank value of the NPC you've given that NPC. The other thing that does is it gives more weight to the rank value that you've chosen. Mm-hmm. Because there, there, there's a gap of like three digits for each rank. Mm-hmm. So it's like you have a henchman 8, 9, 10. Uh, what's the difference between uh, an 8 henchman and a 10 henchman? Not a whole mm. lot. So this is another way of giving those numbers some real meaning, as opposed to saying that, you know, a, a henchman drops it, whatever. Uh, so it, it's slightly different, but, you know, you, you can use whichever whichever method works for you, whichever method works for your players, your team, and all that kind of stuff. Um, mm-hmm. I, a lot of my game is story-driven, so like I said, those... Differenti- differentiating those values makes me really think about those values when I put them on a, an NPC. Hmm. Absolutely. I, I, th- I think this, to be honest, I'm going to say this, Sean, if you want, if you're looking at creating any, any additional content on this, this would be a fantastic one to write down as an actual format for people to use as a template, you know? Yeah, probably. to add to your ever-growing list. Uh, yeah. <laughs> once I get more time, I'm going to help out a bit with you on those. Because mental note, Danny not allowed to talk about my list. Okay. <laughs> 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 yep. Uh, I'll I'll jump in on those, man. I, I started the uh, wiki page a while ago. Mm. I, I did the wiki page for this. Um, okay. And I got up to above the law. Yeah, I think it was it was literally about a month before Above the Law came out, and then I haven't updated it since. Whoops. Yeah, and I, I need to make a list of the content creators who are out there doing things and promote those people more, because there there have been some guys who guys and gals who have done some amazing work on this. Um, uh, the person who's doing the list of um, published materials and whether they have faded or whether they have NPCs in them and whether they have uh, 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 pre-generated characters in them. You know, that that whole list of stuff, you know, including the augments and everything, that's been a fantastic list, and I'm sorry I don't have your name in front of me, but whoever you are, thank you very much. And that's, a, that's, that's on the weird forums. I mean, anyone who's listening to this and isn't on the weird forums needs to go there and read 
read stuff because there's good stuff there too. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I mean, the way forums that was when I was first getting into Malifaux for the very first time. You were the first person that I saw on those forums. I absolutely know that for sure. Because <laughs> I think the way you were talking about Malifaux as a concept and just because I was looking into why do I want to play it, and you were in a conversation with someone where you had shared your feelings on that, and hmm. that was one of the things I think your comments there and uh, G Mortica, was it? Uh, G more G more G more chaotica. Oh, G-more I love chaotica. Yes, I they, love that man, and I I'm sorry he retired. <laughs> oh, me too, man. I mean, he, he did a, a death marshal unboxing video, and mm-hmm. it was that. Or, or no, it's just a blog post. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was yeah. That it's page. his blog. Yeah. It was that page and your comments are the two things that genuinely got me into weird, and I can say that a hundred percent certainly. Yeah, I think I've actually typed G Mort's name more than my own <laughs> on on forums. Because <laughs> yeah, I, I've I've got nothing good. I've got nothing but good things to say about that guy. He, he put in so much work mm. on, on weird stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, there, that was, was... there was absolutely so much. It was. I'd go there for um, assembly instructions more mm-hmm. than the weird website most of the time. To be honest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he he quit just before uh, Caitlin Abernathy's cat box got released. And... <laughs> Dodged a bullet. Damn it, man! <laughs> <laughs> I need. Oh. I still. I still have a fucking box of that glaring at me from my shelves. Oh, I need to. I need to get that. I need to get them, and I need to get the wild ones. Um, yeah. Oh, the, wild the ones. Is such a oh, such a good box. Oh, I love it. It's yeah. It's everything, for, especially for through the breach. Such incredible mm-hmm. minis to throw into through the breach. Yeah. Um, well, I'm I'm really looking forward to um, the 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 mono pod that's like who's oh, the Explorer Versen Society? And, Versen and Wells. Yeah, Versen and Wells. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Vastly looking forward to that, just so I can run that one shot and have the mini. <laughs> yeah. No, I I feel you. Like that's literally oh Vernon Vernon and Wells. Ver- yeah. Um, yeah. I convince myself. That it's okay to get new Malifaux crews because oh I can use them in through the breach <laughs> all yeah, the time, I, all the I'm, time. I'm afraid I didn't need that excuse for <laughs> addiction. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, bro, so okay. In summary, that I think it's been such a well recognized issue that mm-hmm. there's been multiple people that have come up with potential answers here. You know, I mean, we, we saw, I, th- I think I didn't, I forgot to read out um, Ole or Ole, Ole's um, statement. So Ole Ingvar Steen says, I am not a fan of how damage on baddies is handled. Minions go down super easy while enforced and above can potentially keep on fighting while shot to pieces simply because you cannot pull, up, pull the correct critical effects that knock them out or kill them. Mm-hmm. It's particularly frustrating as a noob before you learn that villains need to surrender, run away, or otherwise end the combat before they die. Mm-hmm. I'd just like to touch on that last point there because that's quite interesting because that was another take on an answer to this which is not necessarily to change the rules in any way but to lean into them right um, and I, I feel like this was almost a clever idea from Weird because they've they've 
referenced in multiple places that henchmen and master level uh, opponents shouldn't necessarily be seen as people you can beat. They right. should be seen as forces of nature that right. your opponent, that your characters, that, like, yes, they have a stat block, doesn't mean you should touch them. Right. Um, which I, I find very interesting as a concept because I haven't really come across that in anything else before where they're specifically given a stat block just to show off <laughs> to be honest what they can do and why your characters should be afraid of engaging in that at least not what, without being extremely prepared right um, which I, I just thought was quite interesting to be honest and works quite well with my personal method of uh, the games because I don't like to interact with the major plot line that mm-hmm. Weird is creating I would much rather have references to characters pop in maybe they do appear every now and then but I wouldn't want my players personally to kill a major character because right. I would be constantly thinking of if we're doing a future session much later on with a new group of people that are playing and it would be a nice little thing to have a reference to one of our old characters that comes in mm-hmm. if I'm doing that I then kind of have to canonically kill an existing character yeah. So I, I quite appreciate Ole's take on this for leaning into Weird's potential methodology of uh, don't kill these people, please. Yeah. Well, and uh, I'm sorry, were, were you finished with your yes, yes, sorry. take on this? Okay. <laughs> no, 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 no. You, I, I just didn't want to talk over your ending. Um, Like I said, I've had players who have created characters with the specific intent of trying to kill a named character in Malifa. Mm. One of my players, um, we're, we're going to call him Chris. Uh, Chris, uh, he, like I said, he wanted to kill Seamus. That was mm-hmm. his, his whole goal. He, he, he put it in his character's backstory. He created this uh, sharpshooter who could, you know, ping a penny from a mile away. Uh, you know, totally min-maxed him into this ace-shooting sniper from hell. I would actually have Shivas walking down the street. A lot. I, I would write it into my storyline. And if the characters bothered to use their abilities or, or their skills, or even just say, "I'm paying attention to the people walking down the street," or "I'm I'm noticing what people are wearing," you know, I'm I'm taking a look, you know, I'm, I'm keeping an eye out for anyone who might be trying to do us harm or whatever. Chris knew what Seamus looked like. Chris's character knew what Seamus looked. Like. Chris, the player, never said, I'm keeping an eye out for Seamus. I'm mm. walking down the street looking for Seamus. I'm peeking down every dark alley looking for Seamus. Never once. Finally, I I actually had that group of characters running through the storyline of Malifaux where uh, Molly Squidgepitch dies and the Gorgon tear comes into the 
position of Seamus, and there's the whole meeting between Rasputina and Seamus in the graveyard. They they were in that whole storyline. They they watched it all unfur. It was all very like they're watching a movie because they all knew who these people were and they knew that these people could end their existence. So they, they were all just kind of like, whoa, 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 what the hell's going on? What the hell's going on? And so Chris's character sees Seamus at the side of the grave. And I said, you know, there's a, there's a man dressed in a top hat. And he goes, is that Seamus? And I was like, yes. He goes, I take aim and I shoot. I'm like, okay, you got surprise on him. So we won't even bother going to dramatic time yet. Take a shot. So he flips. And he does very well because he's built his character to have positive twists on both hit and damage and all that. So I say, okay, uh, go ahead and flip for damage. And uh, he says, how many positive twists do I have? And I said, you have no positive twists. Flip for damage. And he says, but I can still cheat it. I said, yes, you can still cheat it. He says, okay. So he flips. He flips very well. And he says, I cheat for my hand a 13. I'm like, okay, great. Go ahead, cheat that 13. Cheats the 13. I said, you blow the top hat off of Seamus. He says, yes, I've killed Seamus. I said, no, you blew the top hat off of Seamus. Seamus heard you pulling the trigger back on your right. Seamus turned to look at you as you pulled the trigger. Seamus smiled as you pulled the trigger. Seamus ducked as you pulled the trigger. He says, what do you mean he ducked? I said, he's that good. He's a killer that bounces around alleys. You think he doesn't know what a long rifle sounds like? You're close enough where he can hear that. You aren't three miles away shooting a penny. <laughs> you, you are standing 50 feet away from him. <laughs> so, basically, Seamus ended that character <laughs> and yeah, that's, that's absolutely right and i i allowed that character to come back as a stitched but uh i i basically let i i will never tell my characters no you can't try but for sure for sure but you will never kill a master level that just will not happen. I, I should say you will never kill a named master level character. Yes, this is this is what I was going to say. That it's important to recognize the difference between a weird created one in the storyline because I think we both have kind of an appreciation and respect for keeping those as they are for the sake of the storyline that they have going, and it helps us guide our characters within the storyline if they stay where they are. But creating a end game level threat as a master as a brand new one I've got no problem with them topping them I mean they, they had the alternate they, they used him as an alternate for Rasputina didn't they um, what was what was his name they came up with him specifically for through the breach or it was for a Malfoy encounter that you could play um, there was yeah so it was in second edition they created um, another there's no way I'll be able to search for Oh, uh, the guy with two blades. Um... No, 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 no. Not Alexei Sokolov. The, um, he, he was actually designed as kind of uh, 
another ice mage. Yeah, yeah. But he was more solidly focused on summoning uh, Gaiman. Was yeah. was his whole deal. Um, right. But he is a potential character there that because he, he doesn't impact the major storyline at all. He's a fantastic right. one to bring in that could be toppled. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty sure he canonically died as well. Yeah. At some point, but again, didn't have too much of an overall role to play that for those who know the reference, it's a nice reference to have. Yeah. But it's a good template for a master level threat that is potentially beatable given enough prep time. Right. But basically, I, I I equate the named characters in Malibu to, like, Strahd in Ravenloft. You know, it's like there are just certain characters who, you'll run into them, sure. You may interact with them, sure. You may see them passing on the street on a daily basis, sure. But you will never kill them. There, there will always be some MacGuffin that they, they come back. And that's that's just because that that is the world of Malifaux, mm. you know. It's like, you know, someone someone talked about trying to kill the governor general before he ascended to becoming the fire, the, the man in the sky, and it's like, no, that's just not going to happen, you know, because that's 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 stuff. That's that's stuff that affects the world, and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna change the world just because you 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 want to live out your Malifaux miniature game tree, you know, <laughs> it's like... Yeah, yeah, I'm with you. It's, yeah, it's, it's about the greater good of the table at times, you know, and it's, it's a difficult conversation to have at times where people really want to do something and, you know, you are there to service the the fates at times and, and your players around you, but there are certain limitations that you can draw and it's okay to draw them. Yeah. And it's, it's like I said, when, when Chris, you know, killed or wanted to kill Seamus, you know, he, he, I I let him get his um, his faded step at that point because I could tie it in to to his to his fate. I can't remember what the fate was, but it was something about um, have, having an opportunity and choosing to take it or not take it. Right. And and I said, you know, yeah, he chose to take it, so you know, he progressed his faded storyline. So. So he, he got a reward for it, and his character survived in a different way. Like, uh, and he, he was kind of happy with it. He was upset that Seamus didn't, didn't achieve, have... That, yeah, yeah. Well, that, that Seamus didn't have the stats that he does in, in Malifaux, and that goes back to my whole, you know, I don't I don't ever play a straight-up card for Malifaux. You know, mm. I'm always going to change something. And for sure. So, you know, Seamus's ability to bounce from terrain piece to terrain piece is that that's how he's always going to get away from somebody shooting. You know, it's like he may not come after you, but it's totally within Seamus's personality to come after you after being shot at. <laughs> yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah, and you're gonna get ended fast. <laughs> yeah. There are consequences for every action, you know, and it's like, are you willing to accept those consequences? If not, you probably don't want to try it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Okay. Shall we move on to the next one? Yes, because I again. Okay. No, that's fine. That's man. Like this is this is why we're here. We love this discussion <laughs> and the tangents are the best part of discussions, man. I love them. Yeah. Uh, 
Uh, power creep for player characters. Um, Magical. So, so I I wrote this one um, from because this this was something that I heard even before I started playing through the breach. Um, I saw a lot of people complaining that magical classes were broken after a certain point. Um, the start off the game very underpowered and then suddenly spiked to the top of the group in a combat scenario. Which won't mm -hmm. be in combat, really. Yep. Um, which, yes, is technically true. Uh, the reason for this is that we've spoken that spells that need to be cast will require a suit to be applied. At rank four in any of the uh, school specialization pursuits, uh, characters gain that suit naturally to whenever they are attempting to make a spell attempt of that school. Mm -hmm. So from there, we can clearly see there is a jump from uh, a quarter of the time plus uh, after considering the value of the card to all the time and only considering the value of the card. So it's instantly a four times more likely event. Yes. Um, so this is a question of balance between Fate Master characters and Fate. So, yeah, I already... Or, 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 is it, or is it with... Well, and see, that's something where I disagree a little bit with Faded versus Faded, because mm. uh, people who are not magic users will have a much wider access to weapons or uh, uh, skills, talents, uh, augmented parts, what, what have you than a spellcaster will initially. So I, I think that the spellcasters are always kind of catching up mm. to, to the others because most of what the others will make use of can be acquired almost anywhere, whereas the spellcasters are basically waiting for that rank four moment. Sure, uh, sure. So, and I, I think they all kind of progress at the same rate after uh, mm. But I, I can certainly see how that would seem seem that way, and yes, it is a huge jump in power. I, I, there's no denying that. Uh, but as as far as the balance between Fate Master characters and Faded, uh, that's something you're always, or I should say, one is always going to be ballying about with um, because. Your, your faded are always going to be different than you think they will be. Um, yes, it's, uh, it's, there's not there's not so much of a linear uh, power progression right. per character, and I, I suppose a lot of this comes down to the pursuits and the, the style of the game. Right. And I don't I don't have any issue with this. I mean, it's like I was saying a little earlier on. The I don't see through the breach as in any way about the combat. To be honest, I, I see the combat right. as it's a uh, encounter type that a player can choose to go into right. and can choose to resolve what they're coming against that way that to me Through the Breach is not a combat centred game at all it is such a narratively driven game and isn't about this win scenario Right. and by saying that 
I am going to say I don't want balanced characters. I don't think it makes sense in the game type that we have because it is so narrow, again, so driven by the narrative that as your characters will advance in certain roles, their skill depth into specific lines will change drastically their power levels right. in combat scenarios. Right. And that's okay. There's not a problem with that. Right. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm quite happy for some of my characters to be... Um, so, uh, Owain is, is our kind of melee, drunken, boozer, beatstick guy. And he's right. taken almost zero advancements in any combat class. All that he has actually done is roleplay classes. Yeah. But he's still the most aggressive one of the group, and still the one that ends up doing the most damage just simply by being the one at the front doing the punching. Right. And I don't feel like the, the pursuits, while they do have a lot of impact in the damage output, I, I, no one at the table feels the power imbalance as an issue. Because it's right. still about how they are choosing to play the characters. Yeah. And and I agree with that. I mean, uh, my players will all tell you that I, I often infuriatingly refuse to put combat into every session. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I try to avoid combat scenarios as much as possible. Yes, I will include them, but generally I try to keep those for like cliffhanger moments as opposed to uh, dungeon delve of the night, you know, yes. for, for, lack of, for lack of a better term. Uh, I like to run high intrigue and uh, subterfuge and spycraft kind of games. Uh, and my players generally like that. And, and I, I, I make that clear at session zero. It's like if you're if you're looking for murder hobo, this is not your session. Uh, for sure. You know, the, the, that's just not what I'm about. I'm not into murder hobo. I'm not into setting up dragons so that you guys can all run in there and eat fire. Um, you know, but, uh, yeah, it, it's one of those things that's like, I, I find I, I, I guess I must just be lucky in the players that I get because I don't typically get players that travel down one path. They usually go in 15 different directions, you know, and it, it, it keeps me on my toes combat wise, but also also in the whole intrigue part because you know they'll they'll take a couple of levels of uh, like overseer or something like that, you know, and go down some weird convoluted path to manipulate people into doing the combat for them, you know. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah, absolutely. You know, so it's like um, I, I, I've got some pretty creative, pretty creative players, and it keeps me on my toes. And the other thing that I, I have as a general rule, and I tell everybody, is is that you can't expect for your character to advance and the NPCs to not advance. So mm-hmm. bear that in mind. Every every NPC that I create at the beginning of a campaign, and I do create a storyline at the beginning of the campaign, and I do include the major players, those major players are built at 
the general party level of the characters and character creation, and every night I advance those NPCs appropriately. Right, so, so I see. So it's like if, if they do some scouting on uh, a big baddie that they know they're going to be going up against and they know they're going to be doing combat, they may find out a few tricks about the person, but that person is also definitely aware of them and mm. who, who they are and how to kind of manipulate or how to mitigate their abilities a little bit. So I see, it, yeah, that's, that's quite... Yeah, it's the... That, I mean, they created a book on it, didn't they? The baddies know what they're doing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's exactly that concept applied. Yeah. yeah, my NPCs are not morons. My, I mean, even even the drunken ones are. You know, they're they're all whip smart. They all they all can suss out. I, I give them some kind of uh, roll or flip or something to figure out if somebody is researching them. You know, it's one of the things I loved about Shadowrun was that, you know, yes, you could do a hit against a corporation, and yes, you could do a lot of preparation, but the more questions you would started asking random NPCs, the more rumors would get back to the corporations that somebody is looking into them. And mm. they would beef up their security or beef up their matrix security. Or whatever. And that, I, I carry that into, I carry that into my other systems as well. Yeah, yeah, it's a solid concept to be honest. Um, yeah, I, I typically go for uh, having the body be about halfway through the campaign at the mm. point where they begin, because it means if they try to instigate combat too early, then they can get a slap on the wrist for it and know and feel it, but not necessarily be killed outright. Yeah, I, I can see that. But then, once they start catching up and they start getting a feeling of maybe we can take him down now I yeah. can then have a think on shall I let them or should I bump this up so we can actually shift it to more of an end game body mm -hmm. that kind of yeah, thing just to keep them on their toes a bit yeah and I can see that and if my characters run into the NPC early whether through design or accident um and they do decide to go into trying to thwart the baddie, however it is, whether socially or in combat. The same way that I have the rule that no player will ever kill a named character, no named character will outright kill a PC before the end of the campaign. Mm -hmm. the end of the campaign, all gloves are off. You know, yeah, you, can, yeah, yeah. you, you can do whatever you want. But uh, if they run into somebody and they start, if I, I start seeing that they're just getting hammered. The character will just walk. The NPC will just walk away. They're like, "I thought this was going to be more of a challenge, but clearly you guys are not ready for Malibu and get back on the train <laughs> and just walk yeah, off." Yeah, You know, which is a perfectly viable option as well. Yeah, yeah. Malfo is is not for everyone. <laughs> no. Um. I, I actually had uh, a, a group that decided to try and take on a big baddie before they were ready, and he literally threw a bag of script at their feet saying, here's tickets to go home, and just walked away. <laughs> I 
<laughs> Actually, that is a good power move, though. To be yeah. fair, I mean, if, yeah. you, if you've got a money bags character that they're against yeah. that would typically do that, then that's fair yeah. enough. Yeah. You know, I I know a couple of my characters. Well, one of my characters would definitely take that up immediately and go, "All yeah. right, see, you, see." You yeah. Later. Yeah. No, I it's funny because I I expected a few of them to get on the train, but no, they all they took that money and they uh, they invested it in a rumor mill uh, that was that was intended to take down the guy through propaganda. It was oh, it was good. It was, it was good use. Fun. Yeah, it was it was fun. We we had fun with that. But it was yeah. it was it was just a like you said a power move where it's just like yeah, come on, go on. <laughs> Here, I'll even buy your train ticket. <laughs> yeah, I'm, uh, to be honest, I'm still quite novice at DMing myself. My wife was uh, is more my DM usually, um, and I've only really done two sessions of DMing before jumping headfirst into the podcast. Um, but I, I, I'd like to learn a load more of the how to do that kind of subterfuge and encourage players to have that kind of subterfuge mindset uh not as as a way of like enforcing it on them but just showing them the fun they can have with it uh should they want to go down that path yeah it's it's tough to do mid-campaign it's something that you all have to agree to when you sit down at that actually before session zero um Mm. I'll, i'll I, I will have that conversation at session zero, but in in general, especially with my Tuesday night group, we we switch campaigns every four months, and we switch GMs, and sure. the GM chooses the game system, and the players choose what style of game they want to play. But the the GM can you know have a little banter session beforehand to say, you know, this is the system I'm thinking of running. I'm thinking of running it in this way. Are you guys cool with that? And mm. generally we're all gaming sluts, so we'll be like, yeah, do what you want. <laughs> but, <laughs> but uh, you know, every once in a while, some one of the, one of the game masters will be like, I, I want to run, um, I want to run Steampunk uh, Legend of the Five Rings, and we're like, oh, no, <laughs> I, yeah, I don't, it can I, be can be quite outfield. I'm with you. Why why not just play a steampunk game or Legend of the Five Rings because they don't really go well together. But yeah, yeah. Um, it's it, it's just it's one of those things where you have to have everybody on board. Uh, it, it's kind of hard to do when only half of the mm-hmm. players want to do high entry high social or uh, that kind of thing. Um, yeah, for sure. I mean I mean more around the um, learning how to necessarily rather than the want to. Because I, I know some of my players have had conversations in the past with, because uh, we, we've all done various games with each other before, of, of creating more socially driven games that have more comp- complex issues going on that they can mm-hmm. weave in and out of and create the these ideas of taking them down um, through completely uncombative means and just going for a long run. Right. The, uh, the, the best advice I have for that is the series that led me to enjoy 
um, intrigue and political maneuverings and all of that kind of thing is actually Babylon 5. Okay. And I watched that series over and over about five times in a row just to see all of the intricacies that were happening in the background and take notes and say, okay, how did Londo maneuver this? How did Jakar mm. maneuver this? You know, and it, it's, it's something that I really had to study um, to, to get a really good appreciation for how it is to run that game. It's, it's hard. It's, it's, it's really hard. Um, and if you have the agreement of your players to really try to keep in that vein of intrigue and manipulation versus just defaulting to combat, I mean, it, it can be a really fun and interesting game, but it, it has to be the type of game that, the, that everybody wants to run. Otherwise, it, it will just devolve into combat because combat's easier. There's, there's a strict rule system for it. So. Sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Which is which is why people tend to lean into it a bit more yeah. because it's it's easier because they can just be guided by the rules at right. times. For sure. And yeah, yeah thanks. It's, so. it's, it's even harder in Through the Breach because you have that short campaign system where it's only five sessions yes. per, per player. So... You know, with other game systems where it's going to be an ongoing thing, you can kind of corral people back into the intrigue by just not letting them get into combat. You know, they get arrested or they get thrown out of the city, you know, or whatever. They just get overpowered and thrown out every time they try to start a combat. Um, mm. And then they finally realize, okay, well, the fists of the face isn't working. Let's try the social maneuverings and social manipulations side of shows. So. Yeah, yeah. But that's that's a very long session. <laughs> yeah, for sure, I'll bet. Yeah, I suppose a lot of their, their planning and getting things set up takes longer than the actual execution of the plan. Right, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, bro, yeah, thank you. I'll, I'll, I'm going to do some digging myself. And I, th I think, to be honest, just even thinking of those questions while you're watching something, just anything... Mm -hmm. Just okay. Yeah. How did they figure that out? What did they need to do to set this up? Right. That kind of thing. Did they need any contacts? Do they need any special equipment? Right. All those are probably helpful for setting that up. Yeah. Yeah. I'll just, I'm going to change my mentality of life to just keep track of that. <laughs> yeah. And it's funny because we as we as game masters get into this habit of okay, I I design my quote dungeon and I populate it with monsters to stop players and in a in a social or an intrigue it's not so much about that it is who is the person they're trying to overthrow and what what systems does that person have in place already and do those systems reveal when someone is trying to um, subvert them and if they do, how do those systems protect themselves and what new systems would come into play from the NPC? So like I said, you know, there was that one NPC that the guys were trying to outmaneuver and he found out that the social network that they were using was also paid by the NPC. So the NPC found out that these guys were digging into him. And he's like, okay, well, 
we're going to subvert that by you feeding them false information. So it's like, these are all things that he had set up already. So it's, it's a different way of building your dungeon and building your, putting your monsters in, you know, it's, it's more of a mental thing than a physical thing. Mm -hmm. But that has absolutely nothing to do with through breach. (laughs) (laughs) No, it does. To all the listeners, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, we love it. We love tangents. We love anything that gives people more content, more ammo to create better games. That's why we're having this discussion is to help people yes. generate their games, you know, and get over the humps that we see, whether and it's I, by us providing solutions or just accepting it. Right. And I guess the other thing that I would say to just generally improve your Through the Breach game is take in everything. You know, read different books, watch different TV shows, watch different movies, uh, watch different YouTubes on different role-playing game systems, watch live streams, listen to uh, podcasts, you know, just take in everything that you can and take notes on the stuff that you like and take notes on the stuff that you don't like so that you can remember down the road why you didn't like this because you'll you'll find that the more information you're taking in the more you kind of forget that oh i heard about that technique and i didn't really like it because of xyz mm. so but yeah, you know absolutely I, agree. I, one of one of the things i love about my tuesday group is the fact that we do switch campaigns every four months and that we do switch gms so i get a bunch of different gm styles and i get a bunch of different campaigns and i get a bunch of different scenario styles always being fed into my head and mm. I, I enjoy that and I, I read a lot, I, I watch a lot of YouTube, I have YouTube on the background almost constantly and it's usually someone's campaign going on so I can kind of say ooh, that Game Master had a really good idea and I'm going to write that down yeah, so. yeah, for sure Yeah, we, we have a, even in our group because uh, Matt is running his own one that we're going to be publishing uh, I think it's actually the first episode's already out for the Neighbourhood Watch uh, is using Monster of the Week um, that cool. all of our current players are in as well. Um, but the way he's doing that, uh, less less about the input as a game master, but more of the output as a podcaster, is he's done it as a full audio drama, so he's literally only taken our voices as the characters. Nice. And then he's done a complete voiceover for everything that happened, which, you know, I mean, like massive hats off to him. For cool. just listening to the whole thing and revoicing every action that we did and, and adding his own little tweaks here and there it's really really well put together and it's, it's just that from just hearing it from the first episode I was like right, my next campaign I'm doing that <laughs> straight away there's no way I'm not doing that it sounds nice. incredible yeah I'm hoping to eventually uh, do a live stream campaign with all of the people who have won the the lotteries for character creation? We're gonna take those and do a live stream campaign, and I'll probably record that and re- remix just to mm. keep it keep it brief. But yeah, that sounds yeah, like a fun. Sure. That sounds like a fun way to run. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. How many more have you got of them? Just out of interest. Uh, we have Bayou. We have Under Quarantine. 
Uh, and we have the core rulebook because nobody wants to use the core rulebook. Why not? <laughs> I, I don't know. Because uh, I, I do a lottery to see which book we're going to do next, and right, core, okay. core has not even placed. <laughs> Every, everybody wants the funky the funky character creation methods, which I, which I get. Yeah. You know, most people have the core rulebook. Most, some may not have the, the supplemental books. So. That's a good point. Yeah, 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 for sure. And and it's more it's more flavorful characters. Let's be honest. Core core rules is you, you've kind of got to want a freedom of concept rather than yeah. going here is a cool element that we're just going to drop in. You can be in this pool of coolness, whereas yeah. the other one it's almost too broad to be given a cool moment. Yeah, I I, I look at the core as like the outcast faction. Me too. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So. Because it's it's got a hodgepodge of different things. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And it, it definitely feels like even even some of the pursuits themselves are almost references to certain outcast factions. Right. Yeah. Or at least outcast vibe ones. Like Wastrel is. Right. You know, it's technically it's not outcast, but there's there's a lot of outcast vibe about Relic Hunters. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Brill, we, so we've got one more question on. on oh, combat. oh, wait, we're here for questions, right? Yes, <laughs> I forgot about that. We should um, do that. <laughs> oh, wait, moments. Uh, so we, I think we've already gone through these a couple of times, but forgettable rules that cause interruption of flow. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, I've put combat often needs you to look between your stats as. Not everywhere lets you show your abilities and trigger combos, and many of them go forgotten. So this is kind of a bit of a preparation issue, and right. I find this a lot of the case, and we've spoken about it for, for a lot. Uh, there is a lot of reliance for the player characters to create the end results um, yeah. in a quick, easy-to-read format. Like we we spoke about it for the magic, I would suggest it for all of combat if you've got any triggers involved, if you've got any side abilities, just create actions that tell you everything in one go and just learn what your action does. Look out right. for the, all the triggers of it and you can go bam, bam, bam every time. Right. Yeah, I mean, that's that's exactly what I was going to say. It, it really is more about an in-between session of uh, just looking over everything your character can do. Look up those rules of the rule book and copy and paste them into a character format that makes sense to you. Um, I actually don't like the character sheets at the back of the core rulebook. I think they're too big and have too much on them. I like creating my own character sheets. And that's that's true of most RPGs. Uh, I find that I, I just create my own sheet out of cleanness and ease of my use. Yeah, um, for sure. And I feel that each person knows what they need uh, more than a company does trying to create a generic sheet that will encompass everybody's needs. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think uh, Monster of the Week does a, a very good one for the Roll20 extension uh, mm -hmm. for the character sheets because they, they've actually had a hand in creating the character sheets for it. Um, yeah. You can hide any field for it and you it has automatic toggles to say uh, hide other class options hide unused options for mm. your class so you can literally just see what your character has only nice 
which is really helpful. Just so so clean and easy to use. Um, I completely see where you're coming from with that. Ge generic character templates will always have empty fields, right. which means there is additional time for you to move and navigate through what you yeah. can do. Yeah, it's like when you've got on roll twenty the uh, the character sheet that Doug did is fantastic. It is, yes. But it's it's, it's got it's got multiple multiple tabs and everything, so it's like okay, which tab is this on? And it's like that's not default Doug. Again, Doug did a fantastic job. I, I use his character sheets when I'm playing on roll twenty. Yes, we do too, um, yeah. But for for my own tabletop I I I have a template that I pulled from like I said, one of the free RPG books that I'm slowly manipulating into better clarity. Uh, but I, I've used that for my characters and for my NPCs. And, uh, if you look in any uh, of the one-shots that do have pre-generated characters, that's kind of the template that I'm using. Is uh, that, that nice one-page quick reference. Everything is there. And then, and then I have a sheet for my additional rules, quick reference, kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think this, this again, is something that we're going to be touching on um, on probably our very, very last question um, that we put on. But we'll be we'll be talking about the online resource management and kind of perhaps even a request directly to Weird of please support us on this. <laughs> yeah. We we need we would love input and just yeah we'll get we'll get onto it a little later <laughs> yeah um, brill and the last part within the same forgot forgettable moments uh, John Dennis put the two I had to remind my players about each and every flip is that you can't cheat negative flips and all the other times you can't cheat so black jokers I assume included. Um, the final dual total is one attack card plus modifiers. They would look at the pile of cards after a successful negative flip hit plus a negative flip weak damage and still pick up a damage card asking if their crow trigger went off. Yeah. So, yeah. What are your thoughts? Uh, well, as far as reminding players about each and every flip, uh, you can't cheat negative flips and everything. Uh, I actually I, I create a for every game that I play a combat cheat sheet that I give out to all of my characters that basically has bullet points that breaks everything down and timing and all of that kind of stuff. And one of my things yes. is, is is at the cheating phase I actually say you may now cheat from your twist hand unless you have a negative twist or a black joker. So that's that's sure, sure, yeah. There. You, you yeah. give that reminder in advance yeah. rather than expect the players necessarily to right. remember it themselves, especially if they, you know, are prone to forgetting it. Right. Then it, it just helps to preempt that and just air it. And then when and, and then when we're in the combat, you know, I'll, I'll say to the player, it's like, okay, do you want to cheat? If they have, if they don't have a negative twist or a black joker, I will offer that to them. If they don't have that, then I won't. If they do have that, I won't offer it to them. And they'll say, okay, well, now I'm going to cheat. I'll say, well, no, you can't because you have a negative twist or one like that. And then as far as final dual total is one attack card plus modifiers, um, yeah, that 
that's a tough one, and that's just something that eventually your your players just break through that mental block. It happens uh, with Malfo as well. I, d- I did a demo sure. because our lockdown ended uh, recently. Obviously, we've we had a couple of Jed's work friends over to run a demo of Malfo, and that that came up quite frequently. But yeah, they did get over it by the end of the day. You know, it's it's just something that will come with time. And the thing is, the other thing is, is you know, keep your keep your cards tidy. Don't don't have a pile of mishmash cards out there. As they're flipping a, a, a double negative, you know, have them flip the cards, have them choose the card, and then put the others underneath that card. That way, you don't yes. have fifteen cards out there on the table, you know, potentially from three different sources. You know, so yeah, it, yeah. you have you know, one card for the attack and one card for the defense, and. Uh, you know, one thing I did do for my demo days when I was demoing was I printed out a sheet that had um, four boxes for the attack and four boxes for the damage, and mm-hmm. they would flip into those boxes depending on what they, how many cards they were flipping, and then I would have them tidy it up into a pile, and then they would right, flip for, okay. for damage, and then tidy it up into a pile. Yes, I was going to say breaking up those steps is going to be really critical here because I guess it's also, if you're aware that this is going to be an issue as a Fate Master you might want to interject where they've finished their attack flip and then say okay, now have a check and see if you've got any triggers Yeah, and break it up like that so then they know that the damage is going to be completely separate from that trigger flip Well and that's what I was going to say with that, that little uh, eight and a half by eleven sheet that I printed up that had the squares for them to flip the cards into also had on the side uh, this is your attack flip uh, flip one card for you know your flip and then add any negative twists or positive twist flips and then at the bottom of that after you're done check for triggers and then right, they right. went to the damage step so it's like they were actually flipping the cards on that sheet which was nice so they got to see how many cards they're flipping and then they like I said, stacked them up, and they knew which card was the final total. It reminded them to check for triggers. So it's something that you can easily create in GIMP or whatever graphics program you have available to you, um, and then print it up on eight and a half by eleven sheets and hand them out to your players at the beginning of the session. And for uh, sure, it it helps keep things clear. Yeah, it's one of those things. Physical tools are really helpful, uh, to be honest. And obviously, the the day and age we're in more games have moved to online um, which is completely understandable yeah. but um, when when if you are doing an in-person game, just consider having those physical tools, I mean a lot of them you don't need to buy a big custom you know, made of epoxy resin or anything, you, you can you can just find a little paper cut out or something right. just for the sake of guiding people and thinking about what are the most common things that they're going to need to be reminded of right. let's just give it to them preempt that and you'll probably save yourself a couple of these uh, the pain that you're seeing here well and the other thing is if people are using roll 20 you can actually make that little cheat sheet and stick it in the notes section of roll 20 and Absolutely. just just call it combat cheat sheet and you know people can just open it up every time they're flipping for combat mm-hmm. so yeah, was it, did, did Vassal have a cheat sheet within it as well? I feel as though I saw one somewhere at one point. 
I'm I'm gonna be honest. I'm old. I've never used Vassal for through the it's, breach. Um, it's yeah. <laughs> it's it's, be- it's it's great for the card flip mechanic. We we literally have it just as a sideboard for the card flips. Uh, I don't use any visual tools at all yeah. for for ours. It's entirely theater of the mind. Um, uh, and we just have the vassal open for the card for the card flips and roll twenty open for character sheets, and that's it. I spent enough time teaching myself roll twenty to where I only use roll twenty. Um, mm-hmm. I, I have Arc and Forge for creating digital maps, but. Um, other than that, I'm, I'm I'm old school pencil and paper um, DM. So <laughs> sure, I, I I have progressed to a laptop for my notes, but uh, <laughs> you know, the, I yeah, I'm I'm too old to learn a bunch of different things. I played Malifaux and Vassal once, and it just really didn't do it for me. I'm no, the the whole reason I play is to sit with my friends, have a beer, and laugh around the table. COVID has made that ugly. Obviously so possible. yeah, yeah. We, yeah, we, me, me and Jed we, started doing um, Vassal, Malifaux, and and mm-hmm. feel the side uh, throughout the whole lockdown, and we ended up just getting to a point where we were just saying, like we, I mean, we, this is like a game twenty odd, so we had done a fair bit of it, but we were just, mm-hmm. it's just not the same. Like yeah. both in atmosphere and the. The mechanics of it are a bit clunky. It just doesn't quite work for what it's trying to do because it's trying to fit things into certain yeah. slots a lot of the time. You try and drag your piece to a certain place, and then as soon as you let go, it'll shift <laughs> just yeah. a slight bit off off key. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah, and I know I know they made the tabletop simulator version, and uh, honest to god, tabletop simulator just annoys the hell out of me. I like the fact that you can flip the table, but that's about it. You know, <laughs> it's like <laughs> I, I spend ninety percent of my games just flipping the table <laughs> after turn one. I'm just like, fuck it, I'm done. <laughs> I've I've got it, but I haven't actually touched it yet. Um, it's I've got it. I've got it downloaded, ready, but it's obviously it's a paid thing, and no one, yeah, not everyone at the table is comfortable playing for that, and that's completely fine. I'd, I'd much rather give everyone a free to use. Well, and I, I just, I think they worked too hard to make the real world physics too real world. Right, um, right. You know, because why do I need to knock a piece over? Why is that a thing? Why is that even mm. possible? You know, it's like if I have a miniature that I'm moving across the table, what possible reason would I need to bump that miniature into another miniature and knock it over? It's like, that just doesn't need to be a thing. Yeah. So. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they should have toggles for everything. Like yeah, that. yeah. With and they they may. I just I I can't be bothered to learn it. So yeah, absolutely. That's all the pieces we had on combat. Just one more session to go. As we haven't had time to record it just yet, I'd heavily consider giving Fate and Fortune a follow on Facebook or your regular podcatcher to stay in the know for when it lands. Also, please do give Sean a follow on Shadow Opal Gaming Stuff, which will be found on Facebook, Twitch and YouTube. He's gearing up for some fantastic content really soon. If you're enjoying yourself here, stick around. Season 2 of Fate and Fortune lands next Monday, being the 5th of July 2021. We're all really excited for this season, as it gets, as Jed would say, sand deep. Until next time. Stay safe, listeners.
No, really. Stay safe. Stay safe.